So we are in, since Easter, we've been talking and reflecting on the incredible, all-changing power of the resurrection. And it's been awesome. It was not planned, um, but after Easter, uh, about midway through the week, Glenn and I decided, hey, let's do another one. And then the next week it was, let's go again. And so this week, we're wrapping out this mini-series on uh, the resurrection changes everything. Um, but it's, it's not something that ever ends, right? The whole point of this is that, is that it changes everything, which means that we're coming back to this in our daily walk, in our uh, ministries, of uh, our life ministries. We're, we're, we're resting here. This is where we, we are at. This is where we walk. All of it's encompassed, encompassed in the everyday living. So although we are wrapping this series up and moving on to uh, a study on the minor prophets starting next week, which I'm very excited about, um, this, is, um, this is something that I want you to hold on to. And if you missed any of the messages, they're all recorded. We have from the Easter service through today as a series of messages on some of the aspects uh, of the everything that the resurrection changed. And last week, my, my teammate Glenn gave an amazing uh, sermon on the road to Emmaus. I wasn't quite sure where he was going to go with it. Love where he went with it. And he's talked, he talked a lot about perspective. And this is something I've spent a lot of time thinking about in the last few years. I thought a lot about the fact that we all think differently. Why is that? Why do we all have the different perspectives that we have? And what Glenn pointed out is, is that none of us can see everything. And each one of us has a unique perspective, but none of us have a complete perspective. It's so important to recognize the incomplete nature of our perspective. Because I think in recognizing that, there is a doorway to humility, right? And there's a doorway to listening to God, listening to the word, and listening to people, right? When we understand that our perspectives are finite, and as Glenn put it, he said, only God has a unique and complete perspective. And sometimes as I've thought about this, I think about like a lens that you look through. And, and so God's lens is infinite. <clears throat> it's massive, it's huge, it's complete. And our lens is very finite, and there's a lot of factors that go into what we see through this lens. Your upbringing, your childhood, the people you've interacted with, the circumstances you've walked through, and the different ways that God has transformed you, right, throughout living. As we go through living and different challenges, struggles, blessings, we learn so much about who God is. We get a picture of that big lens, but it's still so finite, which is why it's so important for me with my lens to listen to you with your lens, right? Because when I listen to you with your lens and the things God has done through your life, our lens gets a little bigger, right? And so that's important. Even if the things that you say to me, I go, I don't think those are biblically true, okay? That's irrelevant to the fact that we are able to understand the human condition a little bit better, right? We're able to understand how walking through life impacts the living, right? And 
And with that understanding, it opens up the door to incredible compassion. And that is so important if we believe that we are to fix our eyes on Christ and the life that he lived, the perfect life he lived, the perfect sacrificial love that he gave and continues to give. If we desire to love like that, it's important to listen and understand how we can love people in their circumstances. It's like that old term, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. The way we get to do that practically is listening. And so I felt that that message Glenn gave last week was so, so powerful. And he pointed out as we walk through our lives in Christ and reflected back on the road to Emmaus, how important it is for us to see, to recognize God's plan, God's promise, and God's punctuality. Or for those of you that don't like to say three things with P, like Glenn, you could say timing, right? <laughs> Just had to pick on Glenn there. So, But as I reflected, right, on, on some of the things that Glenn talked about, and I thought about wrapping this series up on the all-changing nature of the completed work of Christ, and I thought about all of our different perspectives, I thought about the fact that Man, with all these unique and incomplete perspectives, how can we be united? Hmm. And as I thought about recognizing God's plan, God's promise, and his punctuality, how can my incomplete perspective recognize that? We have a few tools, right? We have the scripture, right? We have each other. So there's some tools. We also have an incredible gift. And that is what we are going to talk about today. Today we are going to touch on a gift that we receive because of the completed work of Jesus that certainly changes everything. It helps us recognize God's plan, God's promise, and God's punctuality. It acts to unify us despite our differences of opinion. So today we're going to look at a story. I'm going to invite Kim up because she's going to read for us. I don't know where my microphone is. We'll do this one. Handheld three. She's going to read a story for us that happened about 50 days after Emmaus. Okay, so we talked about last week the road to Emmaus. So now we've seen the resurrection of Jesus. And about 50 days later, we're going to look at something that happened in Jerusalem in Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. 
Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is an incredible, incredible, incredible event which changes everything. Uh, at Pentecost, the one, if, if you don't understand the timing, it is an incredible expression of God's perfect timing. You see, about 10 days earlier, Jesus was talking with the disciples just before he ascended. In Acts 1-4, he says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for a gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, with wa- John baptized with water, but in a few days you will, baptize, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then we move down to Acts 1.8, and it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Ten days of waiting. And the disciples, I mean, many of you we've seen, right? They can be a little bit foggy-headed for sure, right? Like we've seen in the story since the death and to the, to the resurrection that, that, you know, God said to them, Jesus said to them over and over and over, I'm going to rise in three days and then I'll meet you here. And, and, and they just totally like the death happened and it was just like whoosh, everything they heard, gone, it's over. But here, Jesus is telling them to wait. And I think that's important for us to listen to, right? Because oftentimes when we're, you know, expecting or desiring, uh, we don't have the patience to wait on his timing. So it's important that he tells his disciples to wait. But why wait till Pentecost? Well, Pentecost was, I believe, it's a celebration of the harvest, and Jews from all over the populated world at that time would, would migrate to Jerusalem. So if you think about the big story, right, we know that Assyria came in and obliterated the, the, the northern kingdom and the Jews were scattered all over, right? And so here we have a, a feast that takes place at a certain time where all the scattered come together. And so you have the scattered tribes of Israel in one place. And as I was thinking about the fact that God waited to this moment to Jesus to dispense the Holy Spirit on his disciples and empower them for this incredibly spirit-filled ministry was happening when all of the Jews from all around the world came together in one place. What a neat promise fulfilled, right? Because if we think to Abraham, he made a promise. He says, through you, I'm going to bless the nations. Through you, I'm going to bless the nations. And, and as God the Father creates a new family in Jerusalem that day, what did he do? He brought all the scattered tribes to one place. And thousands received Jesus as their Lord and Savior They were able to recognize Jesus as the Messiah and the family of Christ was born. It's so incredible. But oftentimes, 
I think that we see these incredible moments and we lose sight of the promise that stays, right? We read it. We're going to look back to it again, but we're going to look back to it right now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria. You read through that as you read through Acts. Then what does it say? And to the ends of the earth. Folks, this promise of power is still with us. The ends of the earth hasn't happened. And so the promise of power is still with us. But what does this spirit power look like? We read about it in Acts, but what does it look like for us? What are the implications of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us? I'm going to have them put up a huge list. Let's see it. Bam. Okay. All right. Let's take a look. Spirit, he helps us. He helps us in our weakness. That's Romans 8, 26. He guides us, John 16, 13. And when, when it says he guides us in that reference, it's saying, into all truth, revealing what is yet to come. He reveals, 1 Corinthians 2, 10. When it talks about he reveals, right before it, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It's quoting the Old Testament. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. But then it says that the Spirit reveals these things that the eyes and the ears and mind cannot conceive. Wow. He instructs in Acts 8, 29, specifically dealing with guidance in day-to-day circumstances. He testifies of Jesus, John 15, 26. He comforts us, encouraging us into humble submission to the Lord. He calls us, and this is Acts 13, 2, is dealing with Paul and Barnabas as he's calling them into ministry. He strengthens us, Ephesians 3, 16, glorious power in the Spirit. He prays for us, Romans 8.26, often we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit knows what we need prayer for. He brings joy, 1 Thessalonians 1.6, surpassing severe suffering is the wording used in that text. Severe suffering, he brings us joy. He brings us freedom, 2 Corinthians 3.17, Romans 8.2. This is freedom from the law of sin and death. He transforms us, 2 Corinthians 3.18, into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. Wow. He lives in us, 1 Corinthians 3.16. We are his temple. The old is gone, the new has come. In the receiving of the Spirit into our lives, we become his temple. He renews us, Titus 3, 5. He produces fruit in us, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. He gives us gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. He leads us, Romans 8, 14, as children of God. He convicts, John 16, 8, the error of not believing in Jesus and the condemnation of the prince of this world. He sanctifies us, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. He empowers us, Acts 1.8. This promise that we talked about, the end of the earth, that power that's given out through the Spirit. He unites us, 
Ephesians 4, 3 through 4. He gives us access to the Father, Ephesians 2, 18. He seals us or acts as a defining mark of our faith, Ephesians 1, 13. He enables us to wait, Galatians 5, 5. He casts out demons, Matthew 12, 28. There's so much that in walking, I was thinking about myself in the past uh, the past few years, realistically, my whole life, that oftentimes it, it, it's easy to, to get walking and forget who's walking with us. The Spirit of God is walking with us. All of these promises from Scripture of who he is, his nature in walking with us, are true, and yet oftentimes I lose sight of that. Or I look at these incredible events in Scripture and I turn to my practical, real mind, (laughs) I'm a, a realist for those of you who don't know me, and go, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. But do I embrace it, right? Do I embrace it? I think there's a big difference between believing something and embracing something. You can read a lot of things and understand a lot of things, but when you hold on to things and say, this is truth and this is a truth that I'm going to live in, there's a major difference. And the implications are, are far greater than any intellectual understanding. So as I was thinking about this uh, expression of the Spirit at Pentecost and the expressions of the Spirit throughout Jesus' life and then also throughout all of Acts and then through the other letters following, it's remarkable to see what the Spirit does through people, people like you and like me. And so I wanted to shift. I was thinking about, we, we, we've been talking for probably a few weeks, you know, for those, some of you that have been around for a while, uh, back when Koinia was starting out, there, there were some differences in what the church was like then and what it's like now. Um, and some were good, and some were not as so good, right? But one of the things that was different that I desire for us is that People lived with an expectation of the Spirit's power in their lives, in their ministry, and in their fellowship. People lived with an expectation of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, in their ministry, in their fellowship. And folks, I'm as guilty as anyone of not expecting. Not expecting. We've talked about this before with my mom going through cancer and how I processed that. I didn't have expectation. I got the results from the doctor, and I said, all right, it's written. This is the way it is. And maybe that would be the way it would go, but that's irrelevant. My expectation was missing. I didn't expect the Spirit to move in power. It wasn't there at all. I want us to have expectation. And one of the things that we talked about is, like, as we're coming into worship in the morning, I'm encouraging the worship leaders, and after the first song, to pray for expectation for all of us. Let us be expectant of the powerful ways that God can move in and through our lives and ministry. Not us, Him. As I thought about this, I thought about a text that I've talked about probably a dozen times with 
with John. It's probably one of his favorites, maybe. <laughs> but it's Ephesians 5.18 through uh, 20. It says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, as, as we looked at, do we remember how the text from today ended? Some, however, made fun of them. And they said what? They have had too much wine. Huh. And here Paul's saying, don't have too much wine, but be filled with the Spirit. If, you're, if you've ever, you know, to per, the pursuit of wine, for example, right, for many of us, it could be that you're feeling bad. It could be you just enjoy wine. It could be whatever. You know, Jesus drank wine. I'm not here to condemn. But what I am saying is sometimes we turn to these things as a source of joy, right? But when we're chasing after it for joy... We're chasing after a feeling, right? We want to have a feeling. To be filled with the Spirit is to go about Christ-exalting ministry, and it provides you with joy that goes beyond what wine can give. And there's no repercussions, right? So, like, when we... Yeah, I was thinking about this, because I've been, you know, I was, as I was studying and praying for this, I'm like, man... I, my expectation is low. What a bummer. So then I started spending every day praying, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. But we see throughout Acts that there are instances of fullness of Spirit when the Spirit moves in incredible power. Now that's at the Spirit's will comes and goes. It talks about, Jesus talks about it like being a wind, right? But I thought, man, why don't I pray for that? We talk a lot about asking God for things. It seems like a good thing to ask for. But I do think I've experienced some amount of it. And this is because something John clarified for me when we were talking about this is, is that being filled happens when you go about Christ-exalting ministry. It might not be all the time, but, but if you are spending your time seeking to glorify God, to bring glory to God in your life ministry, what do you think God wants? He wants glory for God <laughs> through your life ministry. And so if you're pursuing glorifying God in your life ministry, then this is something that can come through it as we continue to grow and trust God. I'd like to invite up the worship team. In Acts 4, 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly. I desire for us to be a community that has expectancy, that expects to see the Holy Spirit move powerfully. We can't do it. We can't force this to happen, right? God does it. But it's good that we desire it. And let's desire it together. When we come together to worship God, let's bring glory to God with expectancy that he can transform our lives. Even in that moment, as we sing 
words that have such powerful meaning and transforming meaning for our lives. Do we mean that? Do we expect that? There's a big difference between intellectual understanding and amazing power of the Holy Spirit and fully embracing this reality. If we believe this to our core, let us not just know the Spirit can, has, and will do great things. Let us expect it together. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. Lord God, I just pray as we, as we continue to worship this morning, and God, as we continue to worship tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, as we continue to pursue every day to see you glorified in our lives and to see us transformed, God, we're just praying that you would make this community a community that, that relies on the Spirit. God, that we would be so tied together in unity, despite our radically different perspectives, that we would understand that there's something far greater than our perspective, and it's, you, it's worth being unified over. So God, as we go forward, I pray that you would be emboldening us, that you would be filling us with your Spirit, that we would see you glorified in our ministries, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.